What if we looked at loneliness like it was a friend presenting you with a message or a gift or an invitation to connect with yourself on a deeper level, to connect with others more authentically, and to connect with the world around you in a more meaningful way? Hey, I'm Wendy Tamas Robbins, and I lived with a variety of anxiety disorders for over 40 years. If you're struggling and looking for support from someone who's been there, you've come to the right place. And if you don't have anxiety, but you're struggling to understand what everyone's talking about, yeah, I got you too. I'm honored to be your host, your guide, and your coach, helping you explore and navigate all things mental well-being. When I realized my comfort zone had turned into a prison, I went on a journey to find freedom and to step into the life that was waiting for me on the other side. Now, I'm sharing everything I learned with you, the tools and the treasures that are buried inside all of us. I'm a recovering perfectionist, a professional panic attacker, an anxiety coach, a speaker, an advocate, a corporate attorney, a stepmom, wife, and now a best-selling author. Get ready for real stories of struggle and transformation that are as messy as they are magical. I'll cover mindfulness and nutrition, meditation and movement, resiliency and recovery, and everything in between. So whether it's a solo show or a conversation with one of my guests, you'll leave feeling less alone and inspired by examples of what is possible. This is my invitation to you to stop hiding and meet me here twice a month to reveal and connect over our deepest vulnerabilities so we can carry the weight together. And remember, I'm not a medical professional or a licensed clinician. I'm a small town girl who achieved big dreams while unraveling inside and then turned her anxiety into her superpower. Let me show you how to transform your anxiety from your kryptonite into your cape. So whether you're taking a drive or a walk or just a moment alone, this is your time to feel heard and held, seen, safe, and supported as we hold space for our collective struggles. This is the Perfectly Panicked Podcast. Hey guys, before we dive in, let me ask you a few questions. Are you anxious? Do you want to understand where your anxiety is coming from? Do you want to reclaim your peace and your power? And do you want to take back control? Or is someone you love anxious? If you're the one struggling, are you wondering, how do I even start finding freedom? And if your loved one is struggling, are you wondering, How do I even start a conversation about something I've never experienced myself? Well, if you've said yes or even considered yes to any of these questions, please keep listening because I've got something just for you. It's called the Anxiety Audit, and it's unlike anything I've ever created before. It's a game changer. I sat down and thought hard about what it was I was looking for and what I needed when I was struggling. And I was struggling for decades, so this isn't age-specific. 
Finding freedom from anxiety is not a one-size-fits-all proposition. We all experience it on a spectrum as far as the eye can see. This audit will help you curate your roadmap to finding freedom. The prompts provide a holistic approach to identifying your pain points, your triggers, and your fears. The tips I give will help you navigate through all of it to dig deep, to jog memories, to drop your armor, and to peel back the layers to reveal your most authentic and raw responses. These responses will shine a light on the work that needs to be done to transform your life. You're meant for more than managing and accommodating your anxiety. And this audit could be the first step in that journey to freedom. And if you're trying to help someone and understand what they're going through, this audit will give you the vocabulary and the perspective to reach out to your loved one with more tools and more confidence. So if you're craving freedom or you want to help someone you love, click the link in the show notes or go directly to wendytamisrobbins.com backslash anxiety audit. Hi, everyone. Oh, that is the voice of somebody who is in some serious pain. I'm trying to make my voice lift my spirits. Um, I had my chemo port put in about two days ago. Yeah, it's been about 48 hours. I'm supposed to take the dressing off of the wounds as soon as I finish recording this. And um, I'm still in pain, God. And I have Tylenol in me. And I I honestly, um, I guess ignorance is bliss sometimes, right? I thought that this was like a little dental procedure. I mean, I realized they weren't going into my mouth, but I thought it it was sort of like some local um, anesthesia, Novocaine, whatever. And they would just slide this little thing right in under my skin near a vein. And later on, they would just access that vein. Well, I was tragically misinformed by myself. No one told me that. I just made that all up in my head. Um, But this was like a full day that I was at the hospital and had surgery and um, my neck and my chest. And oh, geez, it's really painful. So I can't wait to bring you (laughs) this, um, this amazing episode. Yeah, today we're talking about loneliness and connection. Uh, Loneliness is such an epidemic that until I dove in, I never really realized that it is really one of the biggest underlying causes of so many mental health struggles. Um, And back in May, when it was Mental Health Awareness Month worldwide, the UK, they basically out or highlighted loneliness as their number one issue, what they wanted to talk about during mental health month, um, identifying it as a cause of so many mental health struggles. So I was invited by the BBC studios and honored to talk to them about loneliness. And, um, and of course the flip side of that, which is connection, the, the way that we sort of find our way out of loneliness or how we accept its invitation to dig a little deeper, become a little bit more genuine, uh, become more vulnerable to find the connection that we are really seeking. So 
let's start. Let's just dive right in and um, first talk about why I think so many of us feel like if I'm constantly surrounded by people, why do I feel so alone? We often think of the loneliest person um, that we could imagine this person sitting alone at a party in the corner with this sad face on, you know, essentially telegraphing their feelings and the fact that they have no friends or no one wants to talk to them. And this image just couldn't be further from the truth. When you think about when you feel you're most lonely, I'll bet it's when you're surrounded by the people you've known the longest and or that you love the most. The problem is they aren't the people that know you the best, like really, really know you. They may think they do. They may know a former past version of you, but that's the problem, right? There is this gap between the connection that you think you need as a human and the connection that you actually have, the connections that you actually feel. That gap is the loneliness. Loneliness can even be defined as a biological desire based on a primitive adaptation that drives us to seek out others because being with others, being a part of the tribe is a survival instinct because we share resources, we are protected from predators, etc. So this is ingrained very, very deeply within our brains. So let's talk about how loneliness shows up. Loneliness shows up as anxiety, as depression, as disengaging, isolation, addiction, irritability, exhaustion, and even violence. When we think about anxiety and depression especially, or any mental health struggle, loneliness can be either the cause or the effect. When we suffer from loneliness, it can make us feel isolated, disconnected, and untethered, which can cause anxiety and situational depression. And on the flip side, when we're struggling with anxiety, depression, PTSD, bipolar, we tend to have a hard time communicating what's going on inside of us. We can't find people who can relate to our experiences. And as a result, we feel isolated, disconnected, and you guessed it, lonely. Also, the thoughts that we're having about all of these struggles can be very similar. For instance, loneliness sounds like no one knows what I'm going through. No one can relate to my struggles and my problems. I'm carrying the weight of this all by myself. If I disappeared, no one would even notice. So I found this survey that was done in 2018, they surveyed 20,000 people. This was pre-pandemic now. And of 20,000 people, 54% of the respondents said, not one person knows me well. That is devastating. In the same survey, at least two in five people also said, that they sometimes or always feel as though they lack companionship, that their relationships are not meaningful, that they're isolated from others. Now, this is pre-pandemic. And that they are no longer close to anyone. 
That's two in five people. So let's talk about where loneliness comes from for a second. Loneliness is a feeling. It's a feeling. It's an emotion that's caused by the thoughts we're having about our circumstances. It's usually coming from a fear of abandonment or isolation. And the depth of our loneliness, as well as the strength of our connections, is all in our minds. The number of friends we have, our social connections, are proven to not indicate our propensity or our level of loneliness. There's no objective standard here. No one can tell you that you're not lonely. It's totally subjective because it's a feeling that you have. So as I mentioned before, loneliness is really a derivative of our greatest fear as a human, rejection by the tribe. So it's often a silent struggle too that feels so intense because it does trigger our survival instinct. The pain caused by isolation or this rejection by the tribe is generated in the same part of the brain as physical pain. It runs that deep because it's this primitive adaptation for survival. Being a part of the tribe meant access to resources and safety from predators. And rejection and isolation meant death. Now, it's not like that anymore, but our brains don't know that. Our brains haven't come forward yet. So you might be asking, so then why don't we seek connection the moment we feel disconnected and alone, right? This is sort of like when we feel hunger and thirst, we start to course correct. At some level, our brain says, okay, you need food to survive. You need water to survive. And we eat and we drink. In the same middle part of our brain, there's this center area. I don't know what it's called. But the studies from MIT that I looked at show that that same area that tells us to eat and to drink when we're thirsty tells us to seek connection when we're feeling lonely. It's all in the same spot. But what we humans tend to do is instead of seeking out connection, what most people who are lonely think first is, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have more friends? Why doesn't my family understand me? What must people think of me when they see me alone? And this starts the shame cycle. We become ashamed of our circumstances and we start internalizing what the cause must be. We must be unworthy. We must be unlovable. We must not be valued as a human being. Now, these feelings don't motivate us to reach out and find friends or make genuine connections or connect on a more deep, vulnerable level. They actually motivate us to retreat and isolate even more. And this continued self-loathing erodes our self-esteem, and it's just a downward spiral from there. Studies show that when mice with a very basic brain, you know, no awareness that humans have, obviously, awareness of the self, 
when a mouse is going through the maze, sniffing the cheese, it knows it's there somewhere. If it makes a wrong turn and it hits a dead end, it turns around and it tries to move in a different direction. It just problem solves. When a human being in this area of loneliness hits the same wall, feels lonely, can't find a friend, can't find um, a connection that it feels like it needs, instead of just reversing direction and trying another path to what it seeks, the cheese, the connection, whatever, we pause and we think, what is wrong with me? And it can paralyze us. What do we do when we feel this rejection, this isolation? What do we do when we become critical and we question our loneliness? How do we deal with these unpleasant and uncomfortable thoughts? Well, we typically hide and buffer against them. We start to do the quote unquote overs. We overeat, we overdrink, we overshop, we over Netflix. Can anyone relate to toxic productivity? Yeah, it's a great place to hide. Trust me, I've done it. I did it for a long, long time. So this is also part of that downward spiral. Rather than problem solving, searching for that piece of cheese without internalizing anything, we sit, we internalize, we buffer against those uncomfortable thoughts, and we rinse and repeat. So there are also some other subtle ways that we tend to cope with loneliness that may be red flags. So a couple are perfectionism and people-pleasing. So perfectionism, we believe if we're perfect, everyone will accept us, admire us, love us, right? We'll finally be worthy. We'll finally be enough if we're perfect. This is exhausting and it's not authentic or relatable. This actually fosters disconnection with others. And then there's people-pleasing. This creates a false sense of connection with the world and a disconnection with yourself. This promotes external validation, right? If I do what they want, if I become who they want, they will validate me. They will love me. And we're, when we're focused on what others think or try to be who or what they want, we abandon ourselves. And as a result, we feel more lonely than ever because we know these aren't genuine connections. And then when these people stop showing us attention, we feel lonely again. And we have to find somebody new and mimic whatever they may want from us, again, abandoning ourselves. And this cycle continues and it's exhausting. Look, it's universal to want to feel seen and heard and to believe that you matter. This is essential to our human experience. We all want permission to be ourselves. In order for this to happen, we have to be motivated by deep connection, not superficial reassurance and validation. So what happens when we're lonely? How does this really cause 
a lot of the mental health struggles that we have. Well, it doesn't just cause mental health struggles. It actually has grave physical consequences. There are health risks to loneliness that I'm sure most of you are not even considering. Humans are social creatures. And if the brain believes we are alone for too long, we get sick. People with less meaningful connections experience disrupted sleep patterns, altered immune systems, more inflammation, and higher levels of stress. Research also shows that you have an an increased risk of premature death by uh, 50%. Yeah, it's 51% is your increased risk of premature death if you're lonely. That makes it more risky than obesity, than excessive alcohol consumption, and it's been likened to be as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That is crazy. That is nothing I've ever considered. And that's why I think it's so, so important to talk about. Some of the diagnoses that ensue when people are suffering from chronic loneliness are high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, compromised immune systems. And then again, mental health issues like anxiety and depression. The good news is that support and even just perceived support predict longevity. So in a 2021 worldwide study, about 33% of adults experience feelings of loneliness worldwide. So let's go back to what the source of loneliness is, because of course, it's not just measured on how many connections you have, how many, you know, how big your family is, how many friends you have. Buddhist monks say that happiness and suffering are all in the mind and loneliness is in the mind. So our thoughts create our loneliness. That's the greatest source. Our thoughts create these feelings, these vibrations that we lack the social connections that we need, but we can't fill that void by just bringing in more things, more people. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. So for me, I had three specific instances where I can remember being acutely lonely around people that should know me the best, should love me the most, or being around tons and tons of people. The first was around my mother. Toward the end of her life, she passed away four years ago when she was 72 of pancreatic cancer. And I would say maybe the last 10 years of her life, she started really buffering with alcohol and uh, over drinking while I was with her. And I've never felt so lonely than being with the person that I thought loved me the most and watching her slip away into this altered state where I felt like completely on a different planet than she was. I felt like, why wasn't I enough? Why wasn't I worthy of her staying there and being present with me? Why did she have to hide from me? And um, yeah, it, it was like being abandoned while being next to somebody. It, it was a really um, difficult dynamic. And I'm sure if any of you 
live with or have experienced people who are either alcoholics or are um, addicts or, you know, dealing with something like that, uh, you can probably relate to, to that type of a deep, deep sense of loneliness, even when you're in complete contact with somebody talking to them and so forth, but um, feeling so, so far apart and so tragically separated. Another time was when I went to college and, you know, there's tons of people there. You're surrounded by other college students constantly. There's so many opportunities to make new connections, to find new friends. And I had never felt so alone uh, in my life up until that point. Um, I suffered from a severe identity crisis. I didn't know myself. I didn't feel connected to myself. I had dissociative episodes. And that was sort of like a string that was pulled, a thread that started the unraveling. And it spread to my connections externally as well, where if you really, if you don't, if you don't feel connected to yourself, your own um, identity, your own self-worth, it's very difficult to make connections with, um, with anyone else, really. Um, I would say the last time was when I became a stepmom and I brought with that a lot of assumptions about what the children thought of me that they didn't think I was worthy of being there, that they thought I was trying to replace their mother, that there was animosity or resent. And I expected that um, every time I was in their presence, even though those words were never spoken, um, that was not necessarily the situation at all. But again, my thoughts created that disconnect um, and it was very difficult to communicate that at the time. And I would sit there with my new chosen family, my husband, my two stepchildren, and I would feel completely, completely isolated and alone. So in general, how do people feel alone when they're around, you know, either their family or their loved ones? It's really that you feel like these people just don't know me. They don't know the real me. I can't be myself with them. I can't be authentic. This is going back to that study that I mentioned at the beginning where 54% of the 20,000 adults that were surveyed said that there's not one person who knows me well. The actor, comedian, genius Robin Williams said actually before his tragic death, he said, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. So what can we do about this type of loneliness? What if we looked at loneliness like it was a friend presenting you with a message or a gift or an invitation to connect with yourself on a deeper level, to connect with others more authentically? And to connect with the world around you in a more meaningful way. Let's look first at the connection with ourselves. I, like I said earlier, I think this is the foundation to connecting with others and connecting with the world around you, connecting with your community, connecting with nature. It all starts from within. 
you can't be vulnerable enough with others to show up as yourself unless you come with a sense of value and worth and self-love. If you don't feel like you're enough and you need validation, you will always feel disconnected no matter how much relational connection you actually have. This is the difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is where you're comfortable with yourself. This feels warm. It feels like contentment. It feels like self-care. Isolation, though, when you don't have an inner sense of worth, isolation can feel cold. It can feel lonely. It can feel disconnected. When this self-worth is generated internally, not externally, when this genuine connection comes from within and it's not, it's not generated by the whims of others, it's not attention-seeking, this is a foundation that we can build real connection on. When you've established this sense of a true self, and you feel lovable, you feel connected, whether you're in a packed stadium or in a kitchen with your family, or if you're spending a quiet afternoon by yourself, at the most basic level, the company you enjoy the most should be your own. Loneliness can really stem from feeling negative about your own company and therefore requiring other people to fill that inner lack. So in a misguided attempt to feel better about ourselves, our ego mind relies on reinforcement from other people to feel lovable, to feel worthy. Instead of realizing that we already are worthy and being lovable is our essential nature, we are born lovable just because we are. So every time you feel lonely or anxious about feeling lonely, rather than heaping self-judgment and criticism and shame on yourself, start to practice self-compassion. It can help to think of how you would treat another person if they came to you and said that they felt lonely. How would you treat them? I know that Deepak Chopra, one of the things that he promoted to cultivate a sense of self and a sense of solitude is to become absorbed in a creative, meaningful, or purposeful pursuit. Sometimes losing ourselves is when we truly find ourselves. And especially in service, when it turns our focus from ourselves to others, it reaffirms that we ourselves have value, that we have something to give our neighbor or our friend or our community. Let's look at connecting with others We sort of touched on this in connecting with yourself around if you have an inner lack, you're always seeking to fill that that lack, that gap with external validation. So we have to look at how we approach others when we're looking to connect with them. Are we approaching for genuine connection or are we approaching for validation? How can we get deep versus stay in that superficial plane? Pay attention to how people make you feel. Start becoming aware of that. Who's filling your tank and who's emptying it? 
Who's fanning the flames? Who's putting them out? Who do you feel seen and heard and valued by? You know, there are blue zones in, um, in the world there where people live the longest and happiest lives. These people often walk together, they pray together, they eat together. The fundamental thing that they prioritize is connection. They focus on their relationships. They have this anchor of connection where they spend quality time with people who hear them, who see them, and who value them. It was this practice that was done a lot during um, during COVID at the beginning when we were all in isolation at varying degrees. It was called the positive events practice. This is where you can ask a friend to talk about something good that happened to them. So, you know, it's good to use supportive body language, focus on them, listen completely. Um, This is also sort of a gratitude practice. And so people would do this with each other. They would be fully present with the other person while they were sharing something good that happened to them. And then they would turn the tables and they would do the same. So this, you get sort of a double dose of positive energy, because not only are you being present for someone fully where you feel like you have value for them, you're providing value to them, but then you also get to share your positive experiences and you can feel someone be present for you fully. Studies showed that the feelings of optimism from this experience lasted a long time. It lasted longer than if you had just told somebody a story about something positive that happened to you, and that was the end of it. It also gave people something to look forward to. Ritual becomes very important when it's around prioritizing connection with others. If this is something that you do every Tuesday morning, then you start to look forward to it which creates even more positive feelings when you're out of the experience. This is also true around anticipation, anticipation, sorry, of vacations. The anticipation of a vacation is a big part of the benefit, not just the benefit of the vacation itself. Another thing that I've found helpful is when we're having a hard time, if we're suffering from anxiety or depression or something like that, and we're isolating and we feel lonely because we're not able to fully communicate how we're feeling. A lot of times communicating it with the people that we love or know the mo- love the most, know the best, that's where the real shame sets in. So it's even more difficult to share with them that we may be broken, Right. Sometimes I find with my clients, especially, is perhaps the first step is to ask the other person to share something vulnerable about themselves. So, for instance, I know during COVID, there were a lot of um, people in their 20s who, for varying um, reasons, had to move back in with their parents. They've already graduated from college, maybe even graduate school. I know that I moved back in with my parents after I graduated law school because I had no money and no place to live. And it's very difficult to, you know, there's sort of an identity crisis there. Like, who am I supposed to be now that I'm an adult and I'm living back in my parents' home again? And 
I know a lot of people were having a hard time discussing this with their parents. So there was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of tension. So one of the suggestions that I had that had worked for a lot of people was ask your parents what their biggest challenge at your age was. Ask them what their relationship with their parents were like when they were 28 or 29 years old. That sort of opens the door a little bit to ask them to be vulnerable with you first. And I feel like that makes it a lot easier to then become vulnerable on your own and to share your experience or to find some relatable ground where you can then start to talk about what you're feeling, what you appreciate, but what you're struggling with. So that's just a suggestion around trying to find a connection with those we love when it may feel like the vocabulary is not there or the shame is just too heavy um, or the bridge is too far um, to walk. Finally, I want to talk about how stigma plays a role here because I think stigma is such a huge part of why we don't talk about mental health as much as we should, why it doesn't get the same attention as physical health, etc. So, so I want to talk about shame because that's such a big part of it. Shame is about what you think about yourself. Shame is personal to you. Stigma is public. Stigma is about what others think of you. Are you ashamed, personal, or are you embarrassed, public? Shame is believing we have a deficit or we're broken. It's difficult to have empathy and connect with others when we're so self-focused. So when we're in a state of shame, it's very difficult to find genuine, deep connection with others. Also, when we feel like there's stigma out there in the public, even if we feel good about ourselves and we're not necessarily ashamed of what we're feeling, if we feel like the stigma externally is strong enough, that is another barrier for us to overcome if we're going to try and reach out and connect on a deep and genuine level. So what is the goal here? My goal is that if you're feeling lonely, you leave this podcast knowing that you are not alone. And if you're wondering what's wrong with me, my goal is that you hear loud and clear, there is nothing wrong with you. Loneliness is a normal human emotion. It's a basic primal survival. It's prodding us. It's asking us to create deeper connection within yourself and with others. This is all about learning how to give and receive love, even when it's not easy because of what we've been through, our social conditioning, the trauma that we've endured. My goal here is also that you understand the power of connection and relationships and how critical they are for both our mental and our physical well-being. Rumi said, The pain you feel is a messenger. I'm asking you to listen to it. Listen to that pain. Listen to that loneliness. And my goal here is that we reframe it as an invitation to seek and cultivate those deeper connections within and with others 
that feels supportive and satisfying. Start with yourself and then examine your relationships. And if you're not showing up in a genuine, authentic way, others cannot know you in a real way. So if you're asking, why doesn't anyone really know me? Ask yourself how you're showing up. Are you fearlessly revealing the real you and letting the chips fall? And to be clear, this is tricky work. There's always the fear of rejection. I experienced it myself when I shared my truth with the world. Important people in my life, family, turned their back and rejected me. And then complete strangers came running toward me with arms wide open. This is how you find your tribe. This is how you find those people that are worthy of knowing you on the deepest level. So you weigh the pros and the cons. Is it worth exposing your most vulnerable self without being able to control the reactions, the responses, the results? For me, the answer was yes, because the alternative was to keep hiding and abandoning myself in the process. When I tapped into my true value and connected with myself on the deepest level, I wasn't afraid of rejection anymore. I didn't need external validation. So I presented myself to the world in a completely different way. And my connection with others runs so deep now. They are authentic and meaningful and abundant. And I no longer have to hide. Because when you show up as your real self and you become vulnerable, it gives others permission to show up as their authentic selves as well. When you're motivated by attention, you're saying, look at me. But when you're motivated by connection, you're saying, show me you. I hope you all found something in this podcast episode that helps you feel less alone and gives you some ways to seek and cultivate the connections you desire in your life. Until next time. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate, review, and follow this podcast because it all helps to expose the show to listeners in need of support who are looking for a safe place to talk about mental health, all of which helps to end the stigma surrounding it. And remember, you are not alone, and we're all in this together.